It's time to be equipped with spiritual battle. Defending the Faith is a show to train Christians worldwide to be effective teachers and speakers on the subject of biblical creation so that the next generation can stand firm on biblical truth and defend their faith. Now here's your host of Defending the Faith, Mike Riddle. Welcome to another session of Defending the Faith. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, and on this show we train you how to defend your faith against the teachings of evolutionism and moral relativism. We talk a lot about creation evolution and biblical apologetics, again, how to defend your faith. Our ministry again, Creation Training Initiative, or just CTI. You can find us on the web at creationtraining.org, creationtraining.org. And incidentally, if you go out there, we have over 80 videos, 30-minute videos, all for free that you can follow through and learn an awful lot about creation evolution. We have many interviews with scientists and theologians out there. We also encourage you to email us with your comments or questions about creation evolution. And you can do this by emailing us at info, that's I-N-F-O at creationtraining.org. That's info at creationtraining.org. We'd love to hear your challenges and questions about creation or evolution. Now, we've gone through a number of sessions already. We've talked about the origin of life. We've talked about the fossil record, how to respond to objections called apologetics, how long were the days of creation, critical thinking skills, and other sessions. So we've been through a lot also, but we have a lot more to do on here in the upcoming months. We're going to talk about human evolution. Is it fact or fiction? How do we know? We'll hit that big topic, distant starlight. If the universe is only 6,000 years old, how could that starlight from these distant galaxies have reached us in just 6,000 years? We have to talk about dinosaurs and where they fit in the Bible. What about that thing called the Genesis Flood, and how does it fit in with geology? And then how to re respond to statements like moral relativism. There are no absolutes. That's what's true for you is not true for me. How to defeat moral relativism in the classroom. Well, our topic for today is what I call a somewhat semi-technical, not real technical, but semi-technical, Carbon-14 Dating, Part 1. We'll have to take this in two parts. Carbon-14 Dating Part 1, and we're going to try and keep this as simple as possible. Now, let's get started. Scientists, they use a technique called radiometric dating to estimate the age of rocks and fossils. In this session, we're going to focus on just one form of radiometric dating called carbon-14, sometimes referred to as C-14, radiocarbon, or just the element carbon. Now, contrary to what some people believe, carbon-14 is not used to date rocks as millions of years old. It is generally only used to date once-living things called organic material. Now, in this session, we're going to cover three parts. One is, what is carbon-14? Second, where does it come from? And third, how can it be used to determine age? So, part one. What is carbon-14? Well, it is an atom, what we call an element. There are many kinds of elements or atoms. There's hydrogen, helium, things like oxygen, nitrogen, carbon. So there's many different types of atoms or elements. Now, atoms are made up of smaller particles called protons, neutrons, and electrons. That's about as technical as we're going to get in here, folks, so it's not going to be that hard. Protons, neutrons, and electrons. Now, protons and neutrons make up the center, what we call the nucleus of the atom. 
It is the number of protons in an atom that determine the type of atom or element it is. For example, all carbon atoms have six protons. All nitrogen atoms have seven protons. All oxygen atoms have eight protons. So we can determine the type of atom or element we're looking at by the number of protons inside the center, in the center. Now, the carbon atom occurs in three different forms naturally, three different forms naturally. We call them C12, C13, and C14. Now, where do we get this number from, 12, 13, and 14? Now, remember, all carbon atoms have six protons, whether it's C12, C13, or C14. What makes the difference is the number of neutrons in the nucleus. For example, carbon-12 will have six protons and six neutrons, hence the number C12, or carbon-12. Carbon-13 has six protons, but seven neutrons, hence the number 13. Carbon-14 has six protons, but eight neutrons, hence we get the number C14, or carbon-14. So carbon comes in different forms. C12, 13, 14, what makes the difference is the number of neutrons in there. In this session, we're only going to talk about carbon-14 or C14. So now, that's what carbon-14 is. Now, where does carbon-14 come from? Because it is really not natural to our atmosphere. Now, these tiny little particles from outer space, now I'm not talking about UFOs, that'll be another talk someday, Tiny little particles, energized particles called cosmic rays. They're highly energized particles from outer space. They bombard our upper atmosphere. Now, our atmosphere is mostly made out of nitrogen and oxygen. These cosmic rays will bombard the upper atmosphere, causing some of the atoms to come apart. Now, when these atoms come apart, we can have floating neutrons and when these neutrons, they come from fragment atoms, run into other atoms in the atmosphere. So when a neutron collides with a nitrogen atom in our upper atmosphere, the nitrogen atom actually changes into a carbon, can change into a carbon-14 atom. Now, what happens? Now, remember, all nitrogen atoms have seven protons, and all carbon atoms have six protons. So what happens is the nitrogen atom in the nitrogen atom is that a proton is effectively converted into a neutron. I mean, we go from seven protons down to six. So we lose a proton in the nitrogen atom. So now, since it only has six protons, it is now a carbon atom. And since it has eight neutrons, it is a carbon-14 atom. So essentially, some of the nitrogen atoms in our atmosphere get converted into carbon-14 atoms due to the collision of cosmic rays in the upper atmosphere. So now we have carbon-14 atoms being produced. Now once carbon-14 is produced, it can combine with oxygen. And we combine carbon and oxygen, we get something called carbon dioxide. Now carbon dioxide gets taken in by the plants, we eat it, and we breathe it. Therefore, all living things have carbon-14 in them. Now I have a question. Do rocks eat or breathe? And the answer is no. Rocks don't eat or breathe. Therefore, you won't generally find carbon-14 in rocks, and means we can't use carbon-14 to date rocks. We can only use carbon-14 
to date once living things are organic material. So if you walk into a rock and fossil shop and you see this rock is dated at 200 million years old, take it up to the counter, say how you know it's 200 million years old, and they say the carbon-14 dated it, you better ask for a discount because they cannot date rocks like that with using carbon-14. Now, here's something else about carbon-14. It is an what we call an unstable isotope. Now, what do we mean by unstable isotope or unstable atom? What we mean by unstable is that over time, the carbon-14 atom will decay into another element. Yes, there are certain atoms out there that will naturally decay. We call this decay a radioactive decay. So carbon-14 will radioactively decay into another element. And that element is called nitrogen. Now, this does not mean you're going to be glowing at night because your atoms are radioactive decaying. There's very little carbon-14 in you. So you're not going to be glowing at night, walking around as a nightlight. Now, let's look at the full cycle here. We start with the nitrogen atom. Some of those atoms get converted into carbon-14 atoms in the atmosphere. Then over a period of time, the carbon-14 atom will just decay back into a nitrogen atom where it started. Now, an important question to ask here is, how long does it take that carbon-14 atom to change back into a nitrogen atom? Now, scientists measure this in terms of what we call half-lives. How long does it take half the remaining carbon-14 to change into nitrogen? Scientists measure this at about 5,730 years. That's the half-life of carbon-14. In other words, every 5,730 years, about half the carbon-14 in the atmosphere has decayed back into nitrogen. Does that mean we're going to run out of carbon-14? No, it doesn't, because it is still being produced in the atmosphere via the cosmic rays. So no problem with running out of carbon-14 there. So that's what we mean by half-life. Half the remaining is converted every 5,730 years. This does not mean the scientists stand there and watch these atoms for 5,730 years. What they do is take a sample or population of carbon-14 atoms, see how long it takes some of this to decay. They run this experiment over and over again, how long it takes some of it to decay, and they get a very consistent answer. Then they extrapolate this <clears throat> to how long it would take half of it to decay, and that's where they come up with this number, 5,730 years. Now, there is some extrapolation in this process, but since this is what we consider a pretty fast half-life, 5,730 years, we believe both whether you believe in creation or evolution, we're fairly accurate on this one, 5,730 years. Now, here's another question. When we die, do we continue to eat or breathe? Now, what kind of a question is that? That's a very easy question. No, once we die, we don't eat or breathe anymore. What does that have to do with carbon-14? Well, once we die, we no longer take carbon-14 in, because how do we get carbon-14 in us? We eat it and we breathe it. However, once we're dead... The carbon-14 that's in us continues to decay out. So we're no longer taking carbon-14 in once we're dead, but the carbon-14 that was in our body continues to decay, decay out. Now, here's a critical question. How long will it take 
all the datable carbon-14 to decay out of us. Scientists estimate this at around 80,000 years. Now, there'll still be some carbon-14 residue left after 80,000 years, but it's so small we can't use it for any dating anymore. That would mean the maximum dating range for carbon-14 using the very best equipment we have is about 80,000 years. Most equipment will only date it between 40 and 60,000 years. So anything older than 80,000 years, carbon-14 really can't date it even close to any accuracy. That is, if it really worked. And we're going to get to that in part two another week. Based on this data, what conclusions can we draw? Now remember, the half-life is 5,730 years. And the maximum dating range is about 80,000 years. In other words, the maximum uh, datable carbon-14 is about 80,000 years. Here's the conclusion. If we were to find a fossil that still contained carbon-14 in it, we could assume it's younger than 80,000 years. But if we were to find a fossil that contained no carbon-14 in it, we could assume it's older than 80,000 years. Now let's apply what we have learned to the evolutionary timescale in the age of the Earth. The evolutionists divide the geologic column into three main eras or time periods. At the bottom, we have what's called the Paleozoic, going back about 570 million years. This is called the age of fish and invertebrate. Now, Paleozoic comes from the Greek meaning ancient life, ancient life. The middle layer, or the Mesozoic, goes back about 240 million years, according to evolutionists, and this is what we call the age of dinosaurs. And Mesozoic is Greek for middle life. Then we have the Cenozoic going back about 65 million years and is called the Age of Mammals. And Cenozoic is Greek for new life. So we have the ancient life, middle life, and new life. If we were to find a fossil in the bottom era, the bottom zone, the Paleozoic era, should it contain any carbon-14? Well, the answer has to be no. It's way too old. Remember, only datable carbon-14 is about 80,000 years. After that, it's all gone. After well, a little over 100,000 years, all the carbon-14 should pretty much have decayed out. How about if we were to find a fossil in the middle layer, the Mesozoic, which goes back about 240 million years? If we found a fossil there, should it contain any carbon-14? The answer has to be no. It's way too old. How about if we found a fossil in the top era, the Cenozoic period? Should it contain any carbon-14? In most all cases, no. It would have to be younger than 80,000 years to find any datable carbon-14 in there. Well, what does this mean? Well, several years ago, a group of research scientists from the Institute for Creation Research did a study on radiometric dating methods and assumptions involved. Now, these were just not pseudoscientists, these were people with their PhDs in physics, geophysics, atmospheric science, and geology. Now, one of the studies they did was on carbon-14. In one study, they used coal. Now, coal is organic because, because it comes from once living things. Now, according to evolutionists, coal is millions to hundreds of millions of years old. Should it contain any carbon-14? Well, the answer is absolutely no. Well, this group of scientists used coal samples from 10 different locations. They then took these samples to a highly regarded dating lab so there'd be no bias. What were the results? 
in every coal sample, they found measurable amounts of carbon-14. What does this mean? What this means is the coal and where they found that coal cannot be millions of years old, but only thousands. Folks, this is observable and repeatable science. Now, this group of scientists didn't stop there. Their next study was with diamonds. Now, diamonds are a very special kind of stone. Why? Because they're made up of pure carbon. It's one of the few stones you might find any carbon in. Pure carbon. Now, according to scientists, diamonds are hundreds of millions to billions of years old. Should we find any carbon-14 in them? The answer has to be no. Well, they took these diamonds to the same lab, and guess what they found in every diamond sample? Measurable amounts of carbon-14. What does this mean? It means diamonds, and where they find those diamonds, cannot be millions of years old, but only thousands. And again, this is all based on observable and repeatable science. Wow. Are you starting to see? We have nothing to fear as Christians from science. True science always agrees with God's word. It's evolution that does not agree with God's word, nor does it agree with true science. Well, let's take the next step. Let's talk about dinosaurs. According to evolutionists, dinosaurs evolved about 220 million years ago and died out about 65 million years ago. But does this agree with real, true science? Now, because carbon-14 decays relatively quickly, remember the half-life is 5,730 years, fossils that are even 100,000 years old should have virtually no radiocarbon left to them. But you know what? They do. The American Geophysical Union and Asian Geosciences Society in August 2012 came out with a report, and it stated, Carbon-14 dating of multiple samples of bone from eight dinosaurs from Texas, Alaska, Colorado, and Montana revealed they are only 22,000 to 39,000 years old. Now, I don't believe in those ages, 22,000 to 39,000 years old, because carbon-14 is based on an assumption, and that assumption has been proven false, which means those ages are really much younger. But the fact is this. They are finding measurable amounts of carbon-14 in the dinosaur bones, and they shouldn't be there, according to the evolutionist. Then, in June 1990, two dinosaur bone fragments were submitted to the Department of Geosciences at the University of Arizona for carbon-14 analysis. They left the identity of the bones. They didn't tell them what bones they were or where they found them. Because if the evolutionists knew they were dinosaur bones, they wouldn't date them because they believe they're too old to date. But they didn't tell them what kind of bones these were. So they dated the bones, these dinosaur bones, and guess what? They came with ages 10 to 16,000 years old for dinosaur bones. Again, they've been caught in their own trap. The science does not support billions and billions of years. Then here's another case. Two Triceratops horns, excavated in 2012 from a site in Montana, were sent to the University of Georgia to be carbon-14 dated. They were dated between 33,000 and 41,000 years old. Folks, the evidence, scientific evidence, clearly goes against evolution and old Earth. Because radiocarbon decays quickly, fossils that are even 100,000 years old should have no carbon-14 in them. Now, how 
are the evolutionists responding to all of this? Two methods. Number one, they simply ignore the evidence. That's what evolutionists do, ignore the evidence. Or the defenders of evolutionary timescales, and that includes, unfortunately, a lot of Christians, claim that radiocarbon all came from some sort of contamination where recent or modern carbon somehow crept into all these samples. However, the testing they use today, folks, the process is loaded with procedures that rigorously remove contamination. If contamination is really to blame for all these results, then why does it appear in all these old fossils? In every one of them it appears. Also, if it's, they're going to claim contamination in all these examples, then we can't trust any of the dates they use, and we should take the whole carbon-14 dating process out of the textbooks because it's not even reliable. What we're finding is all these supposed old fossils, coal, oil, natural gas, limestone, marble, and graphite, have all contained measurable quantities of carbon-14. All these results have been reported in conventional scientific literature. So why doesn't this get taught in our schools? The answer is, since it does not agree with evolution, it is not allowed in the classrooms or the textbooks, even though it is observable and repeatable science. Do you get what I just said there? Science is not allowed in our textbooks if it goes against evolutionism. Again, this is a problem we have in our public education system. From this, now, all this, we can draw two very strong conclusions. The geologic column cannot be hundreds of millions of years old. The evidence simply does not support that. And we'll look at some more of that in another session when we talk about geology. Second conclusion. Folks, carbon-14 is a friend to Christians who believe that God created everything in six little days about 6,000 years ago. But don't look for this information in your schools. Why? Because textbooks are highly guarded against anything that shows evolution is not true. It is called censorship. So let's finish up. Let me give you a couple biblical warnings here about what we've been through. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 gives us a very severe warning here. It says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. In other words, folks, we should follow God's word first, not man's wisdom. God's word says he craved everything in six little days, about 6,000 years ago. We should not be following man's wisdom. Romans 1, 18 and 19 teaches, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, get this now, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what we be known about God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. In other words, everybody in their heart of hearts knows there's a creator God because God has put it there. And finally, here's one, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. This this piece of scripture sounds very much like what's happening today in our education system. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. The world, especially in our school system, is spreading false knowledge. And this so-called knowledge is turning many of our youth away from their only hope, Jesus Christ.
You've been listening to Defending the Faith. I'm your host, Mike Riddle. We always enjoy listening and hearing from our listeners. Send your comments or any questions you have about creation evolution. If you'd like to have some answers about creation evolution, send them to info, that's I-N-F-O at creationtraining.org. We'd love to get your questions or hear your comments about how we're doing on this show. Now, we're also a listener-supported program. To continue these lessons, we need your financial support. If you find these sessions helpful, please consider supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. That's Creation Training Initiative. Your donations of just $20, $50, or $100 or more can make a difference in helping us equip Christians to stand firm on the truth of God's Word. There's two ways you can support this ministry with your donations. One, you can mail a donation to CTI. That's CTI at Post Office Box 2415. That's Post Office Box 2415, Eagle, Idaho, 83616. That's CTI, Post Office Box 2415, Eagle, Idaho, 83616. Or you can go to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org, all one word, and donate online. Now, our ministry, we travel all over the country and around the world teaching the truth of God's creation. If you'd like us to come to your church to teach one of our one-day classes, or to speak for an evening, or to go to a school, contact us again at info, that's I-N-F-O, at creationtraining.org. We'd love to come to your church. We speak on Sundays. We do all-day training classes on Saturdays. Uh, we even come during the week for Christian school teachers that they'd like to have a course called Christian Teacher Education. Again, this is Mike Riddle, and this is Defending the Faith. And don't forget, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Thank you, and God bless. That's all for today's show. Defending the Faith airs each Saturday at noon right here on KBXL 94.1 The Voice. For more teachings and resources, visit creationtraining.org or the program archive page on 941thevoice.com.